Why does Russia's invasion of Ukraine affect us or other nations? Isn't that a matter between Russia and Ukraine? Isn't our involvement only risking escalation and perhaps a global war? In short, why should we care? That is the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Welcome to Episode 69 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel, former instructor of the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College, the Naval War College, and currently contract faculty for the Army War College. These podcasts introduce what I believe are enduring lessons of war, lessons for every citizen in exercising their role in our country's deliberations about war, peace, and everything in between. These episodes are not monetized or sponsored, not even by you, the listeners. So if you'd like these episodes to continue, if you think that these are worthwhile, then please don't hesitate to hit like and let me know. The most momentous decision a nation can make is the decision to go to war. Close to that is to decide what we can do to stop war from spreading and to restore peace. This is particularly true if the spread of war will bring us into war ourselves. In episode 67, I described how the conflict in Ukraine meets all of the definitions of a war. Now, what makes the American experiment in representative democracy different than previous forms of government is that these decisions, the decisions to go to war or peace or how to stay out of a war, must at least in theory be made with the consent of the citizenry. Ideally, it should reflect the collective will of the American people. The current war in Ukraine presents us with these decisions. Now, it's up to us to decide whether to tolerate armed aggression by one state against another, the intent of that aggression being to subjugate the attacked state and perhaps completely end its independence or even existence as a nation. This decision is important to us not only as a matter of justice, but because Russian success would, I think, and according to Russian President Putin's own words, be applied to other countries, including NATO members. Such expansion would draw us into war under Article 5 of the NATO Charter, which states that an attack on one is an attack on all. Why we should act, however, is a different question than how we should act and what those actions should be. The important thing is that whatever actions we choose are effective in bringing about the desired end state, that being, as always, a just and lasting peace. Now, Wars of aggression have always been unacceptable under the just war theory, but were nonetheless quite common. The harsh realities of the First World War translated theory into international law, and aggressive war was banned by various international conventions beginning in 1928. Obviously, the Second World War showed that there was some weakness in that concept. Nonetheless, at the end of that war, Leaders of National Socialist Germany and the Empire of Japan were tried and often hanged for the charges of waging aggressive war. The United Nations Charter restated the prohibition on wars of aggression and, with Chapter 7, included the conditions where UN members were obliged to use all means necessary to respond to such aggression. Now, even at the start of World War II, the sentiment of aggressive warfare was so strong that Germany tried disingenuous stories to justify its actions as not being aggressive, but was in response to injustice and even military attack by others. Now, this attempt to justify the unjustifiable has been true in most armed conflicts since then. 
Sadly, this attempt at justifying aggressive warfare includes some military actions by the United States. The practice of disingenuous justification of wars of aggression continued with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But, you might ask, how does that affect us? Why should we care? Ukraine is not a member of NATO, nor do we have any formal alliance with it. So then, why do we need to spend our national treasure and risk war with Russia over a country that was, until some 30 years ago, part of the Russian-led Soviet Union? Americans are, I think by nature, isolationist. We don't want to engage in foreign wars, although we seem to have more than our share. But even given our unique capabilities at waging war, why should we intervene every time, as Thucydides wrote more than 2,000 years ago, quote, the strong do what they will and the weak endure what they must, unquote. On the other hand, it's very hard for Americans to sit idly by when that happens. Emotion, however, makes for bad policy. So I'll begin with some practical reasons for taking action to oppose the Russian special military operation. Then, in the next episode, I'll address reasons for staying out of it. The first reason for caring, for doing something about it, is that we made promises that must be kept. After Ukraine freed itself from the Soviet Union, Kiev found itself in possession of a large number of nuclear weapons that were formerly those of the Soviet Union. Now, it didn't want them, and the United States, the United Kingdom, and Russia didn't want Ukraine to have them either. Nonetheless, Ukraine was worried that Russia might try to force reunification, and Kiev needed some assurance that that would not happen. Certainly, possessing nuclear weapons would be one way to assure that that wouldn't happen. So, to address that concern, the United States, the United Kingdom, and the Russian Federation all entered into an agreement stating that if Ukraine got rid of its nuclear arsenal, those countries each assured the security of Ukraine in its 1994 borders, the year that the agreement was made. Ukraine agreed, the weapons were destroyed, and relying on those security assurances, Ukraine did little to maintain a credible national defense. Twenty years later, Russia broke the agreement, occupied Crimea, and set up puppet states in resource-rich provinces in eastern Ukraine. In response, the U.S. and the U.K. implemented economic sanctions against certain Russian interests and started to train the Ukrainian armed forces. But the U.S. administration in office at that time refused to provide any lethal military aid until more than a year after the Russian invasion, when Congress forced that action. However, neither the U.S. nor the United Kingdom lived up to their security assurances in the way of trying to restore Ukraine's 1994 borders. Having failed to live up to our promised security assurances with the first invasion, eight years later, Russia invaded again. We failed to fulfill our promises in 2014. If we don't live up to those promises in Ukraine now, it will affect our credibility elsewhere and perhaps in the very near future. Second, failure to stop Russia and Ukraine is likely to have consequences elsewhere. When you want to know what a dictator intends, don't pay attention to what he or she says on the international stage. Pay closer attention to what the dear leader says to his or her own people. Now, Putin's justification for his special military operation was principally directed to his own people and secondarily to countries that are already aligned with Moscow. 
The justification directed against Ukraine is not limited to Ukraine. In June 2022, four months after the invasion began, Putin addressed young engineers and scientists at the Technograd Innovative and Educational Complex. In this address, he said that Peter the Great was justified in going to war with Sweden, capturing territory that, as Putin stated, was not recognized as Russian territory by any other nation because, he said, from time immemorial, the Slavs lived there along with the Finno-Ugric peoples, and this territory was under Russia's effective control. The same is true, Putin said, of the Western direction. He then associated this idea with his special military operation against Ukraine, saying, quote, It fell to our lot to return and reinforce what was rightfully Russia, unquote. In Putin's declaration of his special military operation against Ukraine, he not only stated that Ukraine was historically Russia, he also called out that the problem is that in the territories adjacent to us, territories that were historically ours, I emphasize, he said, an anti-Russia hostile to us is being created. Apparently, he went on, it is also our lot to return what is Russia to Russia's and strengthen the country. Karl Bildt, a former prime minister of Sweden, was among those who warned Putin's mindset shows a desire for years of bloodshed. He said, that's how he sees his mission, to take back what once was claimed by Russia. It's a recipe, Bildt said, for years of war. As a reminder, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Moldova were all part of both the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. Each of these countries have sizable Russian-speaking populations, populations that could be used, as Putin alluded, as an excuse for Russian intervention in those countries. Just as he used Russian-speaking populations in Ukraine as an excuse for his invasion there. Most of the countries I just mentioned are now members of NATO. A third reason is related to our commitment to NATO, apart from any potential Russian encroachment on NATO member states. Contrary to popular belief, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, was not set up, as British General Lord Ismay is credited as saying, to keep Germany down, Russia out, and America in. Rather, at least from the U.S. perspective, it was to keep Europe from going to war with itself again a war that would inevitably affect the United States and bring it into a third European war. This was not just a matter of Russia invading Germany. Looking at the 19th and early 20th centuries, this could have been France against Germany, Britain against France, Italy against Austria, or as unfortunately happened, Turkey against Greece. Now, in the last case, it did afford NATO the opportunity to intervene and end the conflict. This purpose of NATO was so successful that these potential conflicts are unimaginable by most people, although they were all common in the century before NATO was created. Today, Europe is at war with itself again, and Putin himself threatens to expand the war if NATO members keep frustrating his special military operation. Finally, if the international law prohibition on aggressive warfare is to be anything more than empty words, then the international community must take action to enforce that law. Like it or not, the United States must take the lead. It's not the way things should be, but it is the way things are. 
Now, next week, I'll discuss reasons why we should not get involved in a war with a nuclear power. But for now, please hit the like button and let me and others know that you will join me then on the next episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare.